following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. All right, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you this morning. Welcome. He is risen, is he not? Amen. Yes, he is risen indeed. What's the Greek for that, dear? Alithos Anesti. Truly he is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Yes, amen. Great. Welcome. If you're online, glad that you're able to participate with us. As I mentioned, I thought we would start a few minutes after the 8.30 uh, uh, time just because of the natural occurrence of uh, rolling out of bed earlier and uh, getting here and getting organized. We're having a nice time here at the church building. Wish you could be here with us, but uh, you can't, and so you can be there, and we can be here and enjoy. So uh, let's uh, open in prayer and uh, thank the Lord for the occasion that we're here today. We are uh, celebrating the Lord's table this morning at the end of this uh, service, so what we'll do is we'll have uh, the uh, live stream going for the entire service until we come to sharing the Lord's table, then we just put that back over to the Uh, interlude uh, music, and uh, we'll share the Lord's table privately. And then we'll be back at 1045 with our morning worship service uh, online and in person here. So that's our general outline of events. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we uh, gratefully, just gratefully come before you and grant you thanksgiving, worship, and praise for the great event that we remember on this special Lord's Day, Resurrection Lord's Day, or as the world calls it, and and others in Christendom, Easter. But we know that really the significance of this day is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because they went early in the morning to the tomb to anoint our Lord's body, and they found that there was no work to be done, because they were seeking the living among the dead And they wouldn't find him there because he was alive. And so we thank you, Father, for this truth today. Help us as we sing and read the scriptures, preach the word and share the Lord's table, that your name would be honored. And we thank you for this opportunity this morning. Lord, for those who may be with some bad news uh, this past week, we know a couple who are. We ask, God, that you would lift up their spirits today and may the Word of God influence their hearts to be lifted out of the grief that they are experiencing and to joy, knowing that the resurrection of Christ guarantees their own and our resurrection as Christians. For this we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So right now I'm going to ask if you would turn your Bible to Matthew 28, whether you're here or Uh, Afar off on the computer there, please take your Bible and uh, turn it to Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. The Bible says this. Now after the Sabbath, and you recall this is after the Sabbath, after the Passover, after the burial of Jesus in Joseph's tomb, after the crucifixion, after the mocking, after all of what we spoke about on Friday evening. Welcome, brother. Good to see you in here. After that, 
the Bible says, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Amen. God bless the reading of that word. What an encouragement to us this morning. Let's turn to 339, please. 339, because of the work of Christ, our sins are finished. Our sins are forgiven, and we are so grateful for that. After this uh, song, 339, I'm going to ask if I could, Brother Jansen, to come and read John 20, 1 through 18, and then uh, we will sing uh, hymn number 70. I won't ask him to lead that hymn. I'll do that as well this morning. But John chapter 20 will be our next reading. All right, we're going to ask Jansen to come and lead us in John 21 through 18. If you would turn your Bibles there, John 20, verses 1 through 18. Thank you, Jansen. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene was, went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stoop, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, whom, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed, for as they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, 
she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. And he did and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. She said to her, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Turn our Bibles to Luke 24, please. We read in Matthew and John. Now we go back to the Gospel of Luke. And just the opening verses of the 24th chapter, Luke 24, 1 through 12. Luke 24. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Verse 9. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Amen. Our message this morning is uh, to complement the message that we offered on Friday evening. We titled that message on Friday, He Died. Well, today the message is He Rose, He Rose, He Rose from the dead. And uh, we're very grateful for that. Mark chapter 16 tells us, Now when He rose early on the first day of the week, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom He had cast seven demons. And 1 Corinthians 15, 4, where we'll look later this morning, said, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Just like I did on Friday, I searched the Scriptures for the phrases, he died. I did the same for the phrase, he rose. And I didn't find it as many times as I thought I would, and so I expanded my search some to he arose, or risen, or raised, or God raised him from the dead, and uh, I found over 30 times in the New Testament where those phrases are used, uh, or a phrase, uh, for example, like, risen from the dead. So not exactly he rose, but the same exact idea. In Acts chapter 10, the Bible says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, 
not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Twice in that passage, we have a reference to his resurrection. And as I mentioned nearly 30 times by uh, other phrases, this idea is, is given to us. My friends, if Christianity is about anything, it is about the bodily death of Christ and the bodily resurrection of Christ. He died, he rose. That is the center, the linchpin, the hinge upon which all of the faith turns. He is alive. There's absolutely no question about this. Easter is not a remembrance of the coming annually of the season of spring. Okay? That's what the world thinks, and it's not about Easter bunnies either. Easter, Resurrection Day, is about Jesus coming back from the dead. Now, I want to focus our attention on one particular text that also talks about his resurrection, and it's in the book of Acts this time. It's in, found in Acts 26, verses 22 and 23. So please turn there to Acts 26. In, in this short section of Scripture, you have a marvelous summary of the Christian message of the gospel. And as we enjoy the Lord's table together later this, uh, this hour, uh, about by the bottom of the hour here, we are going to remember his death and his resurrection for us. Our text is in Acts 26 starting in verse 22 and 23. Paul, rather, is testifying in a trial here to King Agrippa. They're trying to determine why in the world would we send this prisoner to Caesar if there are no charges worthy of any kind of crime or any kind of death or any kind of punishment for him. Why would we send him there? And so the authorities have brought in King Agrippa to analyze the situation and say, you know, what he thinks should be said to Caesar. This is a very unusual situation. And so Paul is giving his defense before King Agrippa. And he says these words, Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and he would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. That's it. That's the summary of his message. And he didn't get much farther than that because King Agrippa, uh, and, well, and Festus actually interrupted him and said, hey, you know, you're, you're crazy. This is insane. And uh, Paul continued to defend himself. But there is the summary of the gospel as Paul preached it. Paul was being accused of a nonsense crime. In fact, it was no crime at all. He wasn't, whatever he was accused of doing, causing a riot in the temple in Jerusalem, wasn't even true. It was the people who accused him of that that were doing it themselves. A very common phenomenon, isn't it? They were the ones that caused all the trouble, and then they blamed him for causing the trouble. So, in fact, he was a messenger proclaiming what the Jewish scriptures had said was going to come and, in fact, had now happened. That the Messiah would come, he would suffer, he would rise from the dead, and through his apostles particularly, he would proclaim light to the Gentiles and to the Jewish people. This is a tremendous summary 
of the Christian faith. And we're going to look at it and just kind of go back to the first installment, I call it, of Scripture, which we very frequently call by the name Old Testament. That's the first installment of Scripture. The second installment, the New Testament, we'll look in there as well at this truth. But I want to get across, among other things this morning, that Paul was not inventing anything new, and neither are we. What he was preaching was old news, but it was still good news. And it's old news today, but it's still good news today, is it not? Yes, indeed, it is. And so I start with this idea where he says, look, I'm just telling you people what the Jewish scriptures have already said would come. He said that in verse number 22. I'm not saying anything different than what the prophets and Moses said would come. Our Bible, our Jewish Bible, he says, from Genesis to Malachi, told us that these things were going to happen. And I'm just repeating that to you. Why am I here in prison because of that? You know? And so the question comes to our mind, where do we find in the Old Testament, in the first installment of Scripture, that Moses spoke of Jesus? Where do we find that the prophets spoke of Jesus? And where do we find that the writings spoke of him? These are the three major divisions of the Old Testament, or Hebrew Bible as it's called. And so where do we find these things? Well, what we can do, because maybe you've been kind of, you've wondered about this. Where is all the stuff in the Old Testament that talks about Jesus? We can use the book of Acts itself to find pointers back to the Old Testament to see that. And I'll show you a few of those this morning. Um, in Acts 3 and 7, the Bible tells us that Moses spoke of the Messiah in Deuteronomy 18.15. Do you remember that passage? A very famous address, if you are familiar with your scriptures. Deuteronomy 18.15, in which Moses tells the people, God is going to raise up for you a prophet like me. And he says to them, him you must pay attention to. You must listen to this one. So as far back as Deuteronomy 18, which is somewhere around 1400 B.C., 14 centuries before Christ ever came, you have Moses promising this prophet. And the word prophet has come in our minds to have the signification of requiring a capital P because it is really ultimately a reference to Jesus Christ. In fact, if you remember back to uh, the interaction that the Pharisees had with John the Baptist, remember he was out in the wilderness baptizing and they went and asked him, who are you? You know, are you Elijah? No. Are you that prophet? And he said, no, I'm not. Well, who are you then? Well, I am one crying in the wilderness, a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, he said. And, but he said, I'm not the prophet. And so... Fourteen centuries later, after Moses wrote those words, the people of Israel had an expectation that God was going to raise up for them a prophet, capital P, the Messiah, who they would have to listen to. So very clearly, Moses speaks of the Messiah. What about the prophets? What did the prophets speak of the Messiah? Well, again, the book of Acts gives us a clue. In Acts chapter 8, you have one of the disciples of the Lord, Philip, told to go into the desert down to Gaza, and on the way, he is going to find a man of Ethiopia. And he found that man reading in the scriptures. And where did he find him reading? <clears throat> you remember? Isaiah 53. 
And he was reading a couple verses out of Isaiah 53 just out loud. And, and, uh, and Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the fellow said, well, not, not really. I need a little help here. I need a study Bible. I need somebody to tell me what this means. Is this Isaiah, is this prophet speaking of himself or is he speaking of some other man? And so the Bible tells us that Philip opened his mouth at that scripture and began to preach to this man Jesus. And he preached Jesus to him and told him about the way of salvation, told him what Jesus had done not all that long ago, you know, from the time frame of Acts chapter 8, that Jesus had come, that he had suffered, that he had died, he had been buried, and then that he rose again from the dead to, to secure our forgiveness. And so, yes, we find in Acts another clue that the book of Isaiah speaks clearly of the Messiah. And we'll look at that a little bit later. I will allude to it, but I'll just pick a couple of verses to read out of Isaiah 53. Uh, it says in verse number 5, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This divine servant is none other than the Messiah, Jesus. But that's only two parts of the Old Testament. We've talked about where did Moses speak of the Messiah? We ask where did the prophets speak of Messiah? Of course, many other passages we could go to, but we're just using Acts to help us kind of get started. And then finally, what about the Old Testament, what are called the writings? You have the books of Moses 5, right? Genesis to Deuteronomy. Then you have the prophets like Jeremiah, Isaiah, all those guys. But then you have, uh, and you have the minor prophets. But then you have like Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, the writings. In fact, Daniel fits into that section according to the Jewish canon, although we think of Daniel as a prophet. But where did, where was... Jesus spoken of, where was Messiah spoken of in those passages? Well, it turns out a whole lot of times you find Jesus in the Old Testament there. For instance, in Acts chapter 2, the Bible tells us, Peter preaching, that David spoke of Jesus in Psalm 16. Speaking of the resurrection, he said, remember how he said, uh, you will not leave your Holy One in, in Sheol, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption? speaking of the resurrection of Christ. Also, later on in that very sermon in Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes David in Psalm 110 and says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That was a thousand years before Messiah came. Acts chapter 4 tells us that David spoke of Jesus in Psalm 2. Remember Psalm 2, the nation's rage? They don't want the Messiah to reign over them, but God laughs at them and he installs his king on his holy hill in Zion. And the passage ends with, a, with an exhortation, you better, you better do homage to the Son unless you be destroyed in the way. Do homage to the Messiah. Acts chapter 13 reminds us that, that Paul preached about David's promise, the, the promise really to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And it says there, God is going to raise up for you, David, and through your line, a king that will reign forever in righteousness. This is the Messiah as well. And then finally, in Acts chapter 13, also, Paul preaches that the Messiah was raised up from the dead. In fact, I'll turn there. Acts chapter 13, if you want to follow along, in 30, 
33 and 34, although the context, we could give it a little more attention, uh, but we'll stick with those verses. It says, God has fulfilled this. This is Acts 13, 33. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, and that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second Psalm. There it is again. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And then he goes on to refer to Isaiah 55, and he says, And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken this way, I will give you the sure mercies of David. That is the the promise that was given to David. I will give that to you, and you will be alive. So what we're saying is that Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday were foretold by God, clearly foretold. In fact, in Acts chapter 3, the scripture says this, those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Just in exact accordance with what the scripture said, God has fulfilled those things. And so many centuries before the events occurred, these things were written about. God told us them beforehand that they would happen, and in fact, they have happened. And actually, you know, because God foretold it, it had to happen, right? What is prophecy, by the way? Prophecy is nothing other than history written in advance of it occurring, okay? It's not a wild-eyed, you know, crazy or vague prediction. It is history written down in advance. And now it's history that was written in advance and now has been written about in in retrospect, because the, the events of his resurrection are past. That's what, that's what prophecy is. That's what God's foretelling is. Paul was not telling something new, unheard of. This was not a new thing, despite what the philosophers at Athens said. You know, that this guy comes and preaches Jesus and the resurrection. What is this new thing? Well, they're just showing their ignorance. They hadn't read the first installment of the scriptures very carefully, had they? Paul was showing the continuity of recent events in their time in the Jewish scriptures of old. Any charge that Paul was opposing the Jewish faith was entirely false. Was Paul opposing the Jewish faith? No, he was saying, here's what the Jewish faith is. We're waiting for a Messiah. The Messiah came. We're waiting for resurrection. The Messiah was resurrected. All these things that the Old Testament taught about are fulfilled in Christ. And if you hold to the Jewish faith, none of you here do, but if anyone listening does, if you're holding to the Jewish faith and get offended at the idea that the New Testament is the fulfillment of, or Christianity is the fulfillment of your Jewish scriptures, then I can't help you. Your own holy writings, if you're a Jewish person, your own holy writings tell you to look for a coming Messiah. They tell you to look for a priest in the order of Melchizedek. They tell you to look for a king like David. They tell you to look for a prophet like Moses. They tell you to look for a kingdom better than Solomon's. They tell you to look for a restoration of the nation of Israel. They tell you to look for the day of the Lord. We're just saying these things are coming or have come to pass already in Jesus Christ. The Christian holy writings of the New Testament tell us those very things and fill in a bunch of details. We're waiting for the fulfillment of some of them like the coming kingdom. But the fact of the matter is there's a glorious continuity of and fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures in the Christian faith. That's why some had called the Christian faith a sect of Judaism back when it first, quote, came out, you know, in in Acts, in the book of Acts in the early church history. 
But what Paul was doing is the exact same thing we are doing today. We are telling not of some new thing. Easter is old news, but it is still good news. The events of it were predicted a long time ago, and they happened just as God promised they would. And, and we are here just to report those things again. And what, what are those things? Paul said in Acts chapter uh, 26, where we started our message this morning, he said these words, the prophets and Moses said would come three items here. Christ would suffer, that he would rise from the dead, and he would proclaim light to the Jews and the Gentiles. So Christ suffered. Listen, he was despised. He was rejected. He was acquainted with grief. He was unesteemed. He was stricken. He was smitten by God. He was wounded, afflicted, beaten, oppressed, slaughtered, cut off, bruised, put to grief, made an offering for sin, and buried. He suffered. And if you, like me, get kind of upset at that, injustice, which I have felt that before. I think you probably have as well. It's, it's the worst possible injustice. The most innocent person subjected to the worst imaginable punishment for things that he did not do. But of course, we know why God designed it that way. So his suffering was not without a purpose. It, in fact, had a grand purpose. It was not useless and frustrating. He suffered with the purpose he experienced those griefs of ours to carry our sorrows, to take our transgressions, to bear our iniquities, to be crushed for our sins. He suffered so that we could have peace. He was beaten so we could be healed. He took our sins in his body on the tree that we might live for righteousness. He did that so that instead of being enemies of God, we could be members of the family of God. So Christ suffered. And then the Bible says he was first to rise from the dead. We've been spending a lot of time thinking about that idea in our other series in 1 Corinthians 15. We'll continue that this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, 23 says Christ was the first fruits. In this passage here, Paul says he was the first to rise from the dead. And I want to just comment briefly on that. Christ is first in terms of priority and preeminence. He is the, the firstborn of the dead in terms of rank, in terms of preeminence or priority. But I also think that what Paul is saying here is connecting that with the idea of first chronologically. First chronologically, Christ was the first to rise from the dead in a glorified body, the pattern of which will be the pattern of our own bodies as we are resurrected with him. And these two are, are connected. God says, this, this king is going to be my firstborn. He's going to be my firstborn. He's going to be first in preeminence. He's going to be first in time. And you can look at Psalm 89, 27 for a correlating verse there and Psalm 72, 11. But we don't have time to go through those in great detail this morning. So Christ suffered. Christ rose from the dead first. And then finally, what does uh, Paul say in Acts 26, 23? He would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. This is a marvelous truth. Now, notice the, the Bible doesn't say there would be a, doesn't predict there would be a church in the Old Testament. You don't find that. 
But what you do find is that there would be a gospel. There would be good news that would go out. You know, behold your God, Israel, or uh, you know, how, how beautiful the feet of those upon the mountains that proclaim peace. You would have the gospel. And Isaiah 42, 6 and Isaiah 49, 6 both say that God was going to provide Jesus, the Messiah, as a light to the Gentiles. So not only all those other things that I mentioned that are in the Jewish faith, you know, the priest of the order of Melchizedek and a coming king and a prophet and all that stuff, but also God promises through the Messiah, through the Jews and through the Messiah in turn, that there would be light for the Gentiles, that there would be something that would happen that would bring Gentiles into the fold. And Jewish people got kind of forgetful about that, and they became prejudiced against Gentile people, and they couldn't stand them. In fact, remember, they couldn't even stand the Samaritans who were as close as you could be to Jews because they were interbred with others, but they were still partly Jewish. And so they began to exercise a kind of racism or ethnocentrism toward people other than themselves. But the Bible is very clear in those passages in Isaiah and elsewhere. You know, those that sat in darkness have seen a great light. Galilee, the way of the Gentiles, Zebulun and Naphtali, we looked at that recently from the prophet. And and God says uh, in, in prospect to the Messiah, look, it's too small of a thing for you to redeem my people Israel. I'm also going to give you the Gentiles, and you are going to reign over them from one sea to the other, to the ends of the earth. They will be your possession, your dominion. That is the words of the Messiah. And this became a mantra for early Christian preachers. Think of Paul and Barnabas. They'd go to the synagogue, and they'd preach for a while, and then the people in the synagogue would get uppity and not want them to come back again. And so they'd say, you know, (laughs) fine. We'll go to the Gentiles. God has sent us to be a light for the Gentiles because we're representatives of Jesus Christ. And so that's what Paul and Barnabas did and others as well. The gospel did indeed go to the Jews first, chronologically. But when they refused, then God sent his messengers to the Gentiles. So in conclusion this morning, there's nothing new here. This is all old news just the good old message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how it saves our souls. We preach exactly the same thing that Paul preached in Acts 26. And hopefully we can say with him, having obtained help from God to this day, we stand witnessing both the small and great, saying no other things than what the Bible has told us, that Christ would come and suffer and be buried and rise again from the dead, and that he would proclaim light to the Gentiles. And in that light, we see light. In that light, we can have salvation. And I thank God for that. I hope you do as well. You can have eternal life through Jesus Christ because of these truths that were prophesied so many centuries ago. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word. Thank you for your kindness to allow us to see and understand this this morning. Lord, may we rejoice that we have not a new system of doctrine, but an old one, an ancient one, that is still true today as it was last year, as it was 100 years ago, as it was 2,000 years ago. And it will be true for all time. Christ the Lord is risen today. 
there is nothing else that needs to be accomplished, no other sacrifice that needs to be made in order for human beings to have salvation in Christ. For this we thank you. In the name that is above all names, Jesus Christ, amen.